prepared. If you have your Westover app, I invite you to open it. If not, if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. The book of Colossians, chapter number 1. We're in a series and ending a series entitled Peace in Madness. It seems like that our headlines are just rolling out a succession of, of ominous news. And about the time you think it can't get any worse, the headlines for the next day argue against that and bring some, some announcement or some tragedy before us. We live in a world of guided missiles and misguided men. It, it, it seems like madness has been normalized. Hate, injustice, conflict. Rage is just a part of our culture, and we're asking, what in the world is going on? We go back to the 60s and 70s. That was the peace movement, but it never brought peace. Then the 80s that came out with positive mental attitude, but it never lasted. The 90s was the robust economy, and we all gained an income, but the Great Recession of 2009 took it all away. This decade, they're telling us the, 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 the thing we need to adhere to is political correctness. But it seems like it's gone awry. There seems to be a consensus among us that something is missing. And I just want to share it with you. Without new hearts, there will be no new world. We're, we're trying to create laws and change things. And there is something deeper in the human soul if a heart doesn't change, we won't have a new world. It, it's like we're looking for a new recipe for a, a better omelet, but we're working with rotten eggs. No matter what recipe or what ingredients you add, if the eggs are rotten, you always have a spoiled omelet. But you see, it's the human heart, and God wants to change the human heart. And hence, we're talking about peace in madness today. In the book of Colossians, Chapter number 1, verse 15 through 20, it's going to address and speak to us about how we can have peace. How you can have peace in your life. How, how you can have peace in the madness in our society today. But right before I, I dive into it, it's not in your Westover app, but let me just refer to one verse in the book of Colossians. It's chapter 3, verse number 16, and it really relates to what we're going to talk about in our text. The Scripture says that the message of Christ should dwell in our hearts and that we should teach and admonish. Notice that we should teach and admonish. How do we teach and admonish? Go to a seminar. It says, it says this, that we teach and admonish through, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart. Isn't that interesting? You ever wonder about that verse? We actually teach through songs, spiritual songs, hymns, singing, making melody in our heart. It relates to our verses we're going to read today. Let me unpack it for a moment. This is a day in which, the biblical day, which there were a lot of people that were illiterate. They couldn't read. They couldn't read, and, and they didn't have books. They didn't have a Kindle app. So what did they do? The, 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 only, the only reading literature was, was a scroll or a tablet. You can't carry that with you. People were going to out in the field to work or in the market to sell their wares or about the home or, or perhaps dad and the oldest son had to take a long trek with animals to a, a, a place in order to draw water or to get wares or whatever the case may be. And in order to teach, they put Scripture to song. 
And that's what the verse means that we teach and admonish through hymn songs and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our heart. How many of you learned the alphabet by singing a song? Yeah, yeah, A, B, C. Many of us, that's how we learned the alphabet. Some of us, our kids learned by a purple dinosaur singing a song. And I, let us sing. You ever try to get that song out of your mind, you know? You get it locked in and you wish you could get, get it out of your mind? Uh, some of you, see if you remember this little jingle. You deserve a break today, so get up and get away too. Yeah, you dated yourself. That's 35 years old. 35 years ago, but you remember it. You see, advertisers know if you can take something and put it to song, we internalize it. It sticks with us. It just, it adheres to us. It gets on the inside. That's why Scripture says, uh, teach and admonish through songs and spiritual songs. What is that significant about? Because in chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 is actually a hymn of the church. The New Testament church... The church at this community at Colossus sang these verses, 15 through 20. It's actually a song. We have the writing in chapter 1, and in the middle of it, the Apostle Paul put a song that the church was singing. That's why he tells us that we need to sing that because we, had, we, we internalize that truth in our heart. So we're actually looking at a song here in Colossians chapter number 1. 15 through 20, what were they singing? What was the one thing they believed they needed to drill in to their kids, to their youth, to themselves, whether they're out in the field or working or, 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 or plowing or, or planting or in the marketplace? What was the one thing they wanted to repeat and sing and internalize? It's found here in Scripture. Verse number 15 and following. For the Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Now, if it's messed up, it's not God's fault. He created everything good. In fact, Genesis says when God created, he said it's good. If it's become bad, man has messed it up. We go on to see. Here in verse number 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If your world's falling apart, you have self-diagnosed it. Christ is not the center of my life. If your marriage is falling apart, Christ is not the center of your marriage because he holds all things together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in in everything he might have supremacy. Verse number 19. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Here's what God is saying. You want to know what I'm like? Look at Jesus. Everything I am, I can show you. God is saying, the Father is saying, look at my son Jesus. He distills, he expresses, he communicates God. Now we come to verse number 20, which is the last stanza of the song. The last stanza. And, and sometimes we read through and we don't get it. So I just want to create some anticipation. This is the last stanza. Okay. 
And for, for those in the cassette generation, remember when we listened to a cassette and we'd come to the end and we'd have to eject and flip it over, but you have the music and the song going in your mind, you're still thinking about and you'd put it in, and as soon as it goes, you'd go on. How many from the eight-track generation? Oh, that'll date some of you. Remember those old eight tracks? You're singing along and the music and all of a sudden it comes to this pause and you're waiting. You're anticipating for the next note, the next word of the song, and it's click. And then we start off again and at the next note you go on. Many of us have lost that sense of anticipation. We've got too much technology today. Here we are, the last stanza. The last stanza. And what is God teaching us? Here it is, verse number 20. Jesus made peace with us. This is the one thought I want to drop in your heart today. Jesus made peace with us. It's in verse number 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus made peace with us. He reconciled us to God by his blood on the cross, he's made peace. Now peace, peace, as the scripture talks about, the peace that God gives is not make-believe peace. And the, the, the UN will have peace, but they still have weapons pointing at the two nations. That's not the kind of peace. This is, this is a, a complete peace, harmony, harmony. There's a, there's a peace that's kind of a, a declared peace. And a peace of conditions. There's the condition of peace where everything's harmonious, everything's good. But there is a declared peace. Some of you go to, to family reunions and there's a declared peace. Now, we're not going to fight. We're not going to tell the cousin. You're not going to tell my mother-in-law. You're not going to. And you go and there is a declared peace, but there's not a condition of peace. You sit at the other end of the table and the other one at the other end of the table. There is a, there is a declared peace, but there's not a real peace. I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. When we were teenagers, I mean, my parents had three teenagers in the home at one time. Now, the other two, they're kind of blockheads. I was the only really sane one among the house. What can I tell you? And we'd be in the other room, and we'd be arguing, fussing. You took mine. You used mine. And here's teenage boys arguing. And mom would say, you better knock it off. You better knock it off. But sometimes dad would come down the hall. You know what's about to happen. Dad would come down the hall. He'd open the door and he would declare peace. You better knock it off. That was a declared peace. But it really wasn't a condition of peace. Now we weren't vocally arguing. But you know, you know as teenagers we can still fight in silence. Can you? You can fight with attitude. You know what I'm talking about? You can... You can Still close the door behind you as your brother's walking out the door with you. I mean, you can do things to send a message. Not that I would do that. Uh, it's one, one, I mean, one of my brothers might do. But there was this attitude. There was a declared peace, but there was not a condition of peace. And the Bible says the peace that God wants to bring is not only a declared peace, but is a condition of peace. It means the condition, your life your home, your marriage, the conflict between you and your son, the conflict that's inside between you and your coworkers, the, 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 the anger, the, 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 the issues that you fight on the inside, the memories, the things that lash out. God wants to bring that declared peace. 
from the manger to a Roman cross on which he shed his blood. And every moment in between, Jesus was speaking peace, declaring peace to bring the condition of peace to the human heart. That's what he was in the business of. Every time on the cross, his heart beat the pulsating heartbeat of God and the blood oozing out of his body, dripping to the earth. It was saying, God is making peace with mankind. Not only declaring it, but bringing the condition of peace to us. July 1969, Apollo 11 lands on the face of the moon. Neil Armstrong descends. Many of us have seen video footage of that moment off of that lunar craft and those immortal words as he steps on the surface of the moon, the first man on the moon, one giant leap for mankind. But here's something you may not know. Do you know on that ladder that came down that Neil Armstrong descended on? On that, on that ladder, there was a plaque, stainless steel. It's still on the surface of the moon. They left it. NASA sent it with the intention of that plaque remaining on the surface of the moon. And when Neil Armstrong descended, he had one foot on that ladder and he put that first foot on the surface of the moon. He declared those immortal words, but that nine inch by seven inch stainless steel plaque reads, we came in peace for all mankind. That's exactly what Jesus did. He was in heaven, but he came to earth, earthly form. We celebrated it at Christmas. He was born of a virgin. He lived his sinless life. Every conversation, every sermon, every declaration, every parable, every gesture, every person he met, he was there to say, I bring peace to all mankind. That was the mission of Jesus. And the early church picked that up and saying that, that Jesus made peace with us through his blood. The Bible uses the word reconcile. It's a, it's a word that may not be in our everyday language. Oh, you may say, I don't quite reconcile that. That means you quite, don't quite understand that, figured it out. Or we may say we reconcile the checkbook, but that's not the word. It's a word used in Scripture only three times, twice in the book of Colossians. We have very little usage of it found in the New Testament. It's a Greek word used just three times in the entire Bible. So we almost have to go outside of biblical literature to see what was the common use of that word reconcile. How was it used in everyday language to give us an idea what Paul was saying here when he reached out in culture and he picked up a word used so frequently in the Bible and deposited and put it next to the blood of Jesus and the work of Christ. It's, it's a word that, that means everything. But it's, it's not just means everything. That's, that's why the scripture says here that he, he reconciled to himself all things. That's everything. But there's more to it in that word than just that. 
It has the idea above and beyond the call of duty. It, it, it has the idea too good to be true. It, it's that statement. Somebody said, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to pay every bill. You're gonna, from now on, everything is taken. You'll never have another word. You'll never have another concern. You'll never have another. And I went on. You'll say, oh, that's too good to be true. You can't fix everything. And the word there is reconcile. Too good to be true. I just, I just don't think everything can be included in it. It's like the children's book, and they lived happily ever after at the closing line. That's the word. Jesus came to reconcile. And God wants you to know, you may be thinking it's too good to be true, but it's true. Because it's everything. It's every doubt. It's every fear. It's every inadequacy. It's, it's every frustration. It's your relationship with your kids, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your spouse. It's the relationship with your coworkers. It's all of your life. You see, Jesus makes all things right. He makes all things complete. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give us a better Sunday. He died on the cross to give us a better every day. To give us a better life. And making great life. And I think it's best distilled in the third verse of that hymn. Oh, we know the first verse. It is well with my soul. We sing that. But sometimes in singing, we don't go down to the second or third verse. And here it is in the third verse. It says, my sin, not in part, but in whole. He nailed to the cross. I'm here to tell you, your sin, not in part, not just a few bad days, not the, not the easy sins, not, not, not the little attitude sins, the worst, the worst of man, the deficit of man, the, the, the drudgery of man, the debauchery of humanity, the brokenness of our society. He nailed to the cross. He has made peace with us, with God. That's Jesus. And because of that... Because of that word reconcile, God can put one word in your spiritual vocabulary. It's the word always. Many of us use the word never. Oh, I, I can never do it again. I, I'll never trust somebody again. I'll never get married again. I will never, I hear people, I will never go to church again. They were hurt sometimes in the past. I will never trust a church again. Something happened and they pulled away in that wound. I will never allow myself to be that way. I will never try that. I will never, never, never. And God wants to take that word never out of your spiritual vocabulary. And he wants to give you the word always. You can always succeed. You can always start over. You can always come back. You can always forgive. You can always turn the other cheek. You can always take brokenness and make something good out of it. You can always return from the worst experiences of life. That's what Jesus did. He reconciled. And it may feel too good to be true, but can I tell you, that's exactly what Jesus has done. He took all of our failure, all of our weakness, and he nailed it to the tree. The week we're going into right now, we call it Passion Week. 
Yes, this, this is Passion Week. Leaning, le- leading up to Good Friday. Resurrection Week. And we call this week Passion Week. But I ask you rhetorically, what was Jesus passionate about? What was Jesus passionate about? Huh. I'll answer that. He was passionate about us. That was his passion. He was passionate about us. When the angel Gabriel came to Joseph right before the birth of Jesus, he said to to Joseph that Mary will bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you know God's last name is us? That's right. His last name is us. God with us. His last name is, I can't even spell the name Jesus until I get to the last two letters and I'm reminded what God was, what is he passionate about? J-E-S, you, us, you, you and I, you as he died on the cross for us. We have peace through him by Jesus Christ. And when he was on the cross, you were on his mind and your sin was on his shoulder. He bore all our sin. The cross, the blood of Jesus, it does not demonstrate how much God hates sin. It demonstrates how much God loves you. How much God loves you. And you see, God's not, God's not at war with you today. That's what the church sang. He made peace with us through his blood. They sang that. And I'm here on the platform to tell you, God's not at war with you. Some of us, we have the wrong emoji for God. Your emoji for God is that red-faced emoji that looks angry. It's not God. It's not that, that mean brow emoji. No, it's not. Some of us look at God as a, as a grumpy boss you want to stay away from. Some of you have a boss like that. You'll go tomorrow and you want to stay at the other end of the shop or the other end of the office. You want to go down a different hallway. It's not God. God is not a divine IRS agent going to audit your life. I'm going to find something wrong with you. There is something back. And he's going to go through the records and the experiences of your past. It's not God at all. God is not a bully to interrogate God's. That's not God. In fact, verse number 19 says that God the Father said, All my fullness is in Christ. You want to know what my heart is like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Yes, for you see, Jesus, Jesus is God's spoken language. <laughs> yeah. Get Jesus. I look at Jesus, the Gospels. I look at Jesus, his life, his character, his heart. What God was speaking, that's it's Jesus. He says it. Without Jesus, we're lost. Without Je- it's Jesus. In fact, we call ourselves Christian. You, lo- you know Jesus. You love Jesus. You've invited Christ in your heart. You are a Christian. That's the word we use, Christian. Christ is the main emphasis of that word. You take Christ out, and all you have is I-A-N. I am nothing. Without Christ, 
I am nothing. Take Christ out of the word Christian and I am nothing. Not have I got Grace has bestowed it since I believed. Boasting excluded in pride I'll abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Once more to tell it, I will embrace. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. To see Jesus, Jesus, He made peace with us through his blood. The church sang that. God wants you to internalize that and know that to the core of your being. When Jesus died on the cross, Scripture records there were two thieves, one on either side. Legend gives us their name, but there were two thieves on either side. One writer respectfully says, no, there were not two thieves that day. He said in his writings, respectfully, there were, there were three thieves. Three thieves. Two thieves on either side were spent their life, life stealing treasure from people. Stealing the goods from people. But he called endearingly Jesus. He called him the third thief on the cross. He said Jesus was the thief that went in. And he wanted to steal pain from people's lives. He wanted to go in and the labels they had placed upon them and lived by. He wanted to steal that label away and free them from that. He wants to steal the addiction away. The manic depressant. The bipolarism that keeps your life in an emotional roller coaster. The intimidation, the scar tissue that you hold on the inside because somebody walked out on you and said, I don't love you anymore. And you carry that. He wants to steal that memory away. So I ask you, with all due deference, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but with all due deference, Will you give Jesus a license to steal today? Will you give him the license to step into your heart and steal your pain and your inadequacy and your shortcoming? Would you say, Jesus, take this away from me? Change my life? Could you say that? That occurred for me. Yeah. I was 14 years old when I found Jesus. 14 years old. I went to youth camp. God stepped into my heart, changed my life. Before then, I was was angry. You said no, I something in me said I will. Somebody said stop. There was something in me that said I'll do it anyway. There was just something. There was an anger. There was a, a go against the grain. I I felt like a left shoe in a right foot world. It just seems like I couldn't fit in and I I, I couldn't find direction and and, and just hostility and anger. You ask a fortune, why? I don't know why. 
I didn't outgrow it. I was reconciled out of it. You see, I went to a youth camp, and I went down to an altar, the last one to leave that, that camp service that evening, and I gave Jesus my heart. I said, Jesus, I can't change me. I don't like what I am, and other people don't like who I am. And I asked Christ to come into my life. I, I, I couldn't have explained it. If you'd asked me to put it in church language or church verb, I couldn't have done that. I just said, Jesus, I need you, and I want my life to be different. And before we go into communion today, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm just going to extend that same opportunity somebody extended me in a prayer to say, Jesus, make a difference. Jesus, come steal the hostility and the anger, the selfish ambition. Steal that. Take it out of my life. God did it for me. And God can do it for you. So across this auditorium, before we go into communion, in the balcony, in the main floor, from side to side and front to back, would you just for a moment bow your heads and close your eyes and allow me the privilege of leading us into a prayer moment. And I'm going to invite you to know Christ as your Savior. You see, he's made peace with you. And this is your time to make peace with God. It's personal. I can't do it for you, but you can. And it's a prayer. That's, there's no secret formula to this prayer. It's a prayer of saying, God, change me. God, make me new. God, do something in my life. I don't want you to get caught on certain words. But you see, God looks at the heart. And this morning, if you can just say, God, I need you. I need peace with God. I'm, I, I have a life that's full of conflict, and I'm living in a world that feels broken. But I'm turning to Jesus. And it's going to be a prayer of saying, God, forgive me, and Jesus, come into my heart. And Jesus, Jesus will do that that's you if you're ready to pray that and ready to receive Christ as your Savior I'm going to invite you at the count of three just to raise your hand just put it up and put it right back down I'll see your hand and God will see your hand more importantly so is that you one two three that's me yes yes ma'am yes sir in the balcony yes sir Put up two hands. Wow. <laughs> wow. If that doesn't mean something, that's just, I'm sure there's a story behind that. Yes. God sees your hand, but more importantly, He knows your heart. And if you'll pray a prayer, Jesus, just forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. He's going to do it. He did for me. A 14-year-old that couldn't quote one scripture. God changed his life. Now he pastors the church. God has a story for you. Heavenly Father, 
What a privilege it is at this moment to just pause and reflect on what Jesus is and what he does. Scores of hands have gone up. And with each one, there's a story, there's a journey. In each one, God, there's a heart that's saying, come into my life. And across this auditorium, balcony, and main floor, there are people saying in their own way, from the depths of their soul, come into my life. Some are saying right now, Jesus, forgive me. They feel like they've got to list everything and they're going down the list and you're saying to them, no, you don't need a list. You just need a, a sincere heart. The blood of Jesus, he reconciles everything. Every mistake, sin, misjudgment, miscalculation, anything intentional or unintentional, the debris, the junk we hold on to, the sin. Jesus forgives us. And God just impart to them a, a spiritual confidence. Take the word never out of their spiritual vocabulary and give them the word always. They can always be better and always do better because of Jesus. And I thank you, God, for what you're doing and have done.